0: For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. Attention, if you're an eastern whitetail hunter with dreams of hunting elk, antelope, or mule deer out west, but are overwhelmed with the knowledge gap, look no further than Outdoor Class. Outdoor Class features professionally produced courses taught by the world's leading outdoor experts and can be consumed on your phone, computer, or TV. Visit OutdoorClass.com and start the process of making your hunting dreams come true. Use discount code EMPIRE20 at checkout for 20% off.
1: The truth on the Houndsman XP Podcast Network is fueled by joy. Joy Dog Food has been in business for many decades, since the 1940s. They've never had a recall. They only use 100% American-made products. To bring you a dog food formula that is going to keep your hounds on their feet and performing at a high level. Late round bound, the next bear race, the next cat race, whatever you got going, Joy can keep your dog fueled up. I personally feed Joy for this reason they are not afraid to get in the trenches and get in the fight. They will show up at a local meeting where people are trying to pass tethering laws or Uh, breeder's bills or whatever and put their name on that and put their reputation on the line to support us so find joy dog food on the internet find that dealer locator find a dealer near you go to joydogfood.com and keep those hounds fueled by joy
2: All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Truth on the Houndsman XP Podcast Network. Today, I'm lucky enough to be joined by my friend, my compatriot, and this weekend, my roommate, <laughs> Mr. Stephen Green. Stephen, how you doing, buddy?
3: I'm doing great, Josh.
2: All right. Now, we're out here. We're out here at the Pro Sport Truck Series uh, in Walterboro, South Carolina, and yesterday, if you go... To the joy facebook page you can see the live coverage we're doing of the event and all that stuff and you told me during this live coverage uh i said how'd you get the nickname honey bun and he said it's a long story i see he said i'll get to it for this weekend's over when have your chance
3: steve i want to hear about it why they call you honey bun so <clears throat> i grew up deer dog hunting with my dad and my granddad <clears throat> we hunted in a club not far from here Yemassee, off the side of 95 and we've always had dogs, and uh, my old man, for some reason, the last drive of the day, he'd make me sit on the truck. So we were sitting on the truck, and it was getting starting to get dark, and I heard some people come across the radio and said, uh, Hey, Bubba, that was my dad, said, Bubba, your dogs are going to 95. So I knew he was way across there mm-hmm. because he traveled. I mean, he drove the woods as hard as any man that's ever lived. So he had just bought, I think it was a 1988 GMC Sierra. It was dark blue, four-wheel drive, long bed. And I got in a truck, and I went to go cut the dogs off. Well, you've seen the water and Mm -hmm. mud that's down here this weekend. I got that truck bogged down in a mud hole. Well, I wasn't supposed to be driving it anyway. I <laughs> mean, I'm 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 13 years old, and uh, actually I was 12. I hadn't turned 13 yet, and I got that thing stuck. So I i seen seen them wedge logs and stuff under the tires and you know get a mm-hmm. grip and pull them out. So there was a big old fat lighter stump over there, and that thing was probably as long as this table, and it cone shaped. So, I put the cone shape in up under the mud of the tire trying to get traction to get out of that mud hole cuz I already knew I was in trouble. Mm-hmm. And I was going to take that I was going to take that beating anyway. <laughs> and uh <clears throat> so I got in there and that thing had a 350 in it. And at that time I didn't know what 350 was or mm-hmm. anything. I I didn't know it was that powerful. 88 GMC 350, that was one of the best motors ever made. Yeah, it was it was strong. Yep. Yeah. So I got on that thing and uh, that tire started spinning and it grabbed hold of that lighter knot and it shot that lighter knot up through the bed of the truck, (laughs) went through the cab, busted the glass out, went through the front windshield, took the pillar and separated it. And it's lucky it didn't kill me. It's lucky Mm -hmm. it didn't go through the back of my head. I I was just short enough to where it just missed me. So I sat there. And I, I was crying. I was crying like a baby because I knew I was fishing to get the worst whooping <laughs> of my life. So they came on the radio, and they were like, um, they called me Little Bubba back then. And they said, where are you at, Little Bubba? And I wouldn't come on the radio. I wouldn't talk to nobody. I actually turned the radio <laughs> off, and I just sat there. And uh, it was about an hour later. Truck lights come up behind me. Well, <clears throat> it was my dad and Bert Lodeholt. They called Bert Lodeholt the Mouth of the South. He lives over here in Early Branch, <laughs> and uh, he walked up there. And my old man was so mad he couldn't even talk. And Bert Lodeholt, there was a honey bun sitting on the dash of the truck. And Bert Lodeholt, being the person he is, he said, "Bubba, you can't get mad at that boy." And Bubba said, what do you mean? He said, he just OD'd on a honey bun. And that stuck with me all my life. And and honestly and truly, I can tell you this. Most all of my friends that I consider true friends, you'll hear them call me bun. Most of them have shortened it up. If somebody calls me by my name, they don't really know me. I'm just, you know, it's, it's stuck with me that long. And it's just... When I had my feed store, that's what everybody called me, Bun. You know, uh, Uncles, that's what they called me. That's just that was my name. I you know, know I've talked to a few people, and I've said, "Well, I'm with Steve Green." Or I just got a phone with
2: Steve Green. They say, "Who?" I said, "Stephen Green from out there, South Carolina." Oh, oh, Bun. And I, that's I didn't know your nickname was Honey Bun yeah. whenever we first talked. You know, yep. eight, ten months ago, a year ago, you know. I said, I don't know. I guess he goes, Yeah, it's Honey Bun. Yeah. I said, Okay. Well,
3: from now on, you use Honey Bun, and everybody called
2: you yep. Honey Bun, so I called you Honey Bun. <laughs> that's right. I
3: mean, this this weekend, the people you see come up to me. That's what they, you know. What you, would your dad say? Uh, he didn't say nothing. I we went back. Um, we actually had uh, old school buses gutted out mm-hmm. on the club, and that's what we slept in. And we went back there that night, and I just I looked at the ceiling. And all I wanted to do was go home. Mm-hmm. I wanted my mama. Yeah. That's what I wanted because I knew that was only going to be my saving grace. Because he still, I think if he'd have put a whooping on me, he probably wouldn't have got off because mm-hmm. he was just so mad. But we drove home Monday. He bought, He went and bought another truck Monday uh, yeah, at Hampton because he was originally from Hampton. Yeah. And uh, we drove home. He never said a word about it. You You know,
2: know, as a parent, and you may, you're going to back me up on this, I'm sure, but when my kids screw up and they don't take it rough on themselves, that's when they get in trouble. Yeah, That's when they get a whooping. That's when they're, when they don't understand that they even done wrong and they don't think they done wrong and I know they did, that's when they're in trouble. Yeah,
3: I I try to talk all my life. My my daughter I've never really had, I could look at my daughter Mm -hmm. and that was all it took. Um, my son, he's like me. He's real strong willed. Uh, yeah. So it took a little bit more for him, but I always said that I, when I, if I had, if God blessed me with children, that I would just, you know, try to try to do better. And I always try to talk to my kids first, and I like for them to tell me, you know, hey, I did wrong, and they still know they're going to get disciplined. Yeah. But when they do it like that that means to me that they they understand that they've done wrong and they, let's let's try to you know grow from this experience so but back when i was a kid i got my butt tore up regularly. <laughs> i mean i was just that kid you know i mean and it didn't hurt me yeah. it made me it made me a man yeah. i don't hold it against my dad i mean he you know i'm sure everything that i got got for i deserved every bit of it i was
2: blessed enough to be raised a good portion of my life by my grandparents who had had eight kids of their own, uh, my older brother, off and on, and foster kids. And I don't know, at one time my grandma put like 13, 14 kids on a school bus. So I'd done seen all these kids get their butts. I was the youngest, I was the baby. And I got done seeing all these kids get their butt every time they'd done something wrong. So I thought, well, I'm at least not going to get caught. <laughs>
3: i didn 't want no part of that, so
2: I'd got a few whoopings every now and then, but you know, I tried to be good whenever I knew that that was the opportunity that I was going to get. you That's know right. was a whooping I'm just, well, these guys led by example now my brother took' them. my brother took several of them, but yeah. I looked around and huh, thought i don 't want none of that that hurts so I took a lot more than my brother did but he yeah. was the baby, so yeah, see talking about deer hunting back deer hunting with dogs, and one thing I want to talk about on this podcast is we 're out here and uh when we agreed to do the pro sport coverage and stuff like that and i seen they were coming out to walterboro and it's a good haul from my house it's an 18-hour trip Uh, i've never been out here it gives me an opportunity to see i mean i've been to south carolina but you know you go to charleston or you go to myrtle beach or something that's not south carolina that's that's just that's commercial yeah that's where the tourists go you know i've been there multiple times and uh matter of fact if lauren's listening to this my cousin she goes oh i love south carolina and i like to look at the old plantation i say south carolina i said south carolina's at this coon hunt we're getting ready to go to and that's what i want to see That's right. but uh you know it gives me the opportunity to see a different area and a different style of hunting different dogs and stuff like that and that's one reason i want to do this with you of course is you've been out here doing this for how
3: many years well i turned 50 in september and i've been doing it since i was a kid yeah um I've been blessed to hunt with some of the best in this state, some of the worst in this yeah. state. Uh, I've got to hunt pretty much every piece of terrain you could give me in this state. And we, we've got it all here. I mean, when you can go to mountains, you can go to rolling hills, sand hills, and then you're in this part, what we call the low country. Mm-hmm. The low country is my favorite place of the state just because of you know the people the people are a little bit different down here um great people yes um great people and the hunting down here in the low country has been a tradition for i can't even tell you how many years i mean so going back to i started my my fa- my dad was a big deer dog hunter so was my grandfather and and they um <clears throat> you know they inter- I was introduced into that, and I absolutely love it. Um, it's exciting. It's great for kids. Um, it's, it's starting to die out a little bit in the state, but we still have a lot of good dog clubs in the state of South Carolina. When you say dog clubs, that's something – because
2: our Western guys are big game guys and stuff. They're not going to understand that a lot of our midwestern coon hunters and stuff you know there's no such thing as dog clubs where we're at so these are just
3: straight up big leases just for deer dogs what yeah what it is is a lot of it's timber company land and a lot of it's privately owned farmland and um you lease from the timber company you know they have tens of thousands of acres Mm -hmm. which has dwindled down some um the club that we used to hunt in at in yemmesee we had about 20 thousand consecutive acres yeah it was just one big old block of woods divided up by roads um and you know you get farmers and it actually helps the farmers because they'll lease it out you're helping them in a couple ways everybody knows the damage that deer do to crops farmers lose money and it also helps farmers pay taxes for those leases yeah so it's a win-win for you know a lot of it but that's pretty much when you say you know dog clubs that's what they are yeah and there are some of these dog clubs have been around for i don't know 60 70 years
2: the farther you get east of the mississippi and i've been i'm not a big fan of east of the mississippi in most places now there's pockets uh to us considering where we live we got i'm gonna ballpark maybe three thousand people in our county maybe in the surrounding counties probably about the same number i mean there just ain't no folks and when i get east of the mississippi and you look at you know the ohio's parts indiana illinois where you're hunting at the world hunt it's just so crowded to us you know there's folks everywhere Mm -hmm. uh but right here and i drove all this you know in the daylight i stopped in tennessee of course and visited with hoop and tater and then drove the rest i thought man it's just so many people so many people so many people then i get to walterboro and then i can see where you guys are hunting and i can see these big tracks of woods and things like that and so that's it's pretty country in a pretty you know getting more crowded area is that going to be a problem for these deer hunters because you know it's the same thing everywhere there's and i can't blame anybody for wanting to get out of the city uh we've all been to those places and we don't want to be there either but you know they, these guys come up and they, they're breaking these big chunks of ground up you yeah. know everywhere texas to home is they're doing the same thing here
3: yeah because the the big thing for probably the last ten years in this state that I've seen is people buying five and ten acre yeah. tracks, yeah. and they want to get away from the city, and they have them what call them like a mini farm or yeah. whatever. And that's uh, so when they do sell these places at, at ten acres is more than one acre, so they used to put ten houses eight, a house on each mm-hmm. acre. Now they're putting one on ten. Yeah so you're talking about you know so yeah it, it does it does affect the the ground we have in timber uh they cut a lot of timber in this state yep. a lot of timber and uh that affects it yeah the the hunting especially on the on the deer hunting side yeah what do those what do those dogs do
2: i mean because you got cutovers everywhere you know it's a timber lease if you're hunting a timber lease I mean you just try to avoid those spots no there ain't nothing actually, you can do about it
3: actually your cutovers is where you where you where want to be where the deer are those deer bed up in there and um yep yeah, uh smaller pines yeah. thicker the thicker the plantation type stuff there's no cover for them they're not going to be there really they want to be where cover is they want you know undergrowth briars protection yeah and so cutovers are actually if they grow up and you know if they cut it it'll take three or four years for it to come back to start coming about year four it's perfect really so a lot of these leases you just want them to replant yeah and replant quickly so you can get that cut over and that growth start coming up because it'll hold more deer
2: we're gonna get let's get into the coon hunting here in a little bit but before we do that because deer dogs fascinate me and the deer hunting culture in the southeast fascinates me uh i'm yet to be able to take part in any of it next time i'm out here we're going to line up a deer yeah. hunt and you're going to go. you're gonna come you're going to come go. dog hunting with me this yeah. winter because i think it's going to be I, it always looked like it would just be an absolute blast it is it's know? more
3: fun than you ever dreamed
2: yeah so take me on your it's Thursday or friday night you're headed to your to your dog dog lease your dog camp and you're going to stay friday
3: night hunt saturday morning what's saturday morning look like so saturday morning you'll get there early mm-hmm. real early uh and then you see how many people you have you have standards and you have dog men yeah your standards they surround the block that you're running and then you strategically put your dog packs so to run the deer out so they'll draw they'll they'll draw however many people's at the club they they figure out what drives they're going to hunt that day they try not to hunt we try not to hunt the same drives like only once a month. Really? We don't try to over hunt it. Yeah. You know, sometimes I have been in clubs where the land is smaller and we only hunt three Saturdays out of four and never hunt and rotate. Right. And that keeps your neighbors good too because that's one thing about dog hunting. If you're steady in there pounding the same track of land every Saturday, mm-hmm. you get some upset neighbors. If you're only there one Saturday and they kind of know and they pack you know, they're aware of it, and it works better. And that's that's a big thing down here in the state of South Carolina is, you know, keeping your neighbors happy with dog hunting. And and garments, really, dog hunting would have probably been demolished down here. But garments have basically saved it Yeah, because we have more control. We know where they are. We can cut them off, keep them on our land, not off of other landowners. Because most places in this state – if there's a if there's a dog club right here there's a steel hunting club probably on both sides right of it. and you know they they don't want you messing up their hunt which is understandable um so you, you got to keep your neighbors happy down here with that but Garmin's have really really helped us if we would had Garmin's 20 years ago dog hunting would still be as big as it is in the state of south carolina yeah it really would be um so but you know, and then you, you you usually do two drives in the morning, break for lunch, and some clubs do two in the evening. I prefer the clubs that do one in the evening because about four o'clock I'm ready to go home, be with yep. the family and yep. stuff, get everything put up, and but that's that's a typical day in the Deer Dog Woods, Um and it's very it's very very kid friendly. Yep. A lot of kids really enjoy it because they don't have to sit up in a stand right they don't have to be quiet they can make noise yeah you know and it's just a, it's just a it's fun yeah it, it's a fun time for them so mm. i really enjoy watching youth kids get into deer dog hunting starting out you
2: that re- that reminds me a lot of when i went to wisconsin bear hunting and just the amount of families that took part in that it wouldn't just be you know because don't get me wrong my kids coon hunt and they love their dogs and stuff but it's a monday night they got school on tuesday to have and so with that culture with starting these kids on deer dogs and stuff like that you look at a a gentleman like yourself that you said you was out there 12 years old with your daddy running deer dogs and stuff and coon dogs i assume was a natural transition for you
3: yeah yeah um my uncles were uh big time coon hunters and you know I had to wait to a certain age to yeah. to play in the dark. But getting back one thing I wanna say, you talk about you know, kids and families and stuff at the bear hunt. Our club there's there's wives, mm-hmm. girlfriends, children. I'm talking about three and four and yeah. five kids pile up in one truck. And we put them with dog men and they just absolutely they'll sit yeah. on that back of that dog box they'll have a red rider bb gun shooting at deer coming across <laughs> the road yeah. i mean it's just it's just fun you yeah. know and it's what to me i think a lot of kids need it and we have boys and girls that do do it in our club i mean they just the outdoors is good it's, it's healthy for kids it it's, is it's, especially now yeah that's what i'm saying it's yeah. a hel- it's a healthy getaway for kids it's no more important than
2: it is right now in 2023 to get those kids into an outdoor sport i agree
3: i absolutely agree so speaking of that how'd you get into coon hunting so <clears throat> i um i had uncles that, that did it and um just started pleasure hunting at first and uh they didn't competition hunt much they they were in a local the local Coon Club uh and but they didn't competition hunt a lot and I had a friend Tim Kirby um he's a barber mm-hmm. up there where I live and uh I went over and got my haircut and he said you ought to go to this hunt tonight with me so I got we packed up in the truck and went and I'm going to tell you what I was bit from day one day one so I started competition hunting and uh, really, it never looked back. And uh, But I, I absolutely love the pleasure hunting side, especially when I can, uh, like around me, I, I got Tyler, his son Brenner, uh, Brandon Kelly, Casey Kelly, James Taylor, and James Toole. That's, our, that's the, mm-hmm. our ground. And I just love going pleasure hunting with those guys. They're younger than me, um, and I just enjoy it. It's, it's something i enjoy doing and then we go to hunts and stuff and you know hit one here and i don't hit the hunts like i used to because i made a promise to my wife when my son was born that i was going to slow down yeah and then most people can tell you i used to be at one every night somewhere i'd be at one and uh so yeah that's how i kind of got started in the coon hunting you know just i got to an age where i was allowed to stay out you know get out of school and go i could go till 10 or 11 mm-hmm. and get home as long as i got up and everything yep. was right you know and so we did that and i've just been doing it ever since
2: when you transitions because we all make that transition from pleasure hunter to competing uh when did you was it right away that you wanted to go to a coon hunt were you reading about them in the magazines as a young kid or was it something that you just kind of worked your way into gradually
3: yeah i never never did get the magazines when i was young it's like i said when i i went with tim up to a local hunt it yeah. was a pkc hunt pkc just started here in this state then which tim had tim kramer had a very big part in that yeah he's always you know had that for the state and but we went i went to that hunt with them and they told me to take, bring my dog but i i said no i said, i just want to go mm-hmm. and spectate i want to see what it's all about and I got out there, and I was like, "Man, I was like, I could, I could have won this cast with my dog if I'd have brought it." You know, that's <laughs> what I said to <laughs> that's myself. That's what everybody thinks. I <laughs> said that to myself, and um, <laughs> so they had another local one next the next week. Back then, we only had the clubs only had one a month. Yep. And we had a few clubs around there, so they had them strategically planned out where you could get go to one, one once a week. You know, once didn't really have weekday hunts hardly. Yeah, it's always a Friday or Saturday deal. But they had them spread out. We drew thirty, thirty-five dogs, every one of them. Yeah. I mean, it was really competitive. Good dogs too. And I went to my first one, and I actually won it. So and you weren't you
2: weren't you you were serious? Yeah. You said I could have won that cast, and you actually could. Well, I said that for I don't like know. ten years before I won one. I, I don't
3: know if that was just me thinking that I could have yeah. won it, but I got. I went to my first one and I won it, and then it was about twenty straight that I lost yep. and I got humbled very quickly <laughs> about, but I also noticed that I had a pleasure dog trying to compete with competition dogs, so then I went on a mission to try to learn exactly what it took mm-hmm. to compete with these other these big time guys, these guys that are winning and uh, I'll never forget I went to the Sunshine Jamboree when it was in Thomasville the first time that was maybe ninety ninety one um and there was two or three hundred dogs down there, and I drew out with my old pleasure dog, and uh I mustered up a cast win, and I don't know how I did it but, mm-hmm. uh, i I was hunting against way more powerful dogs the yeah. dogs that you see in the standings and stuff you know and uh after that. I started looking for a dog, and my grandmother and my grandfather, they were the best to me. And my grandmama said,
2: (laughs) You're all right. She said,
3: She said, boy, she said, you go find your dog. She said, I don't care what it costs, and your granddad will buy it for you. She said, because I think this is the best thing for you. So I went and I got me one. And I did some daggone winning with that sucker. And he died on me with kidney failure. And <clears throat> that old dog showed me what it took to compete. And <clears throat> I was very competitive after that. So there was a man named Charles Scott who lived in Lawrence. <clears throat> He was a I guess you'd say he was a money man. And uh he'd buy me and Tim whatever we wanted. And uh crank we machine. actually bought we actually bought crank from Kurt Aaron. He he wanted crank bad. The plot? Yeah, the plot. We owned we owned crank, the big plot dog. Which I'm sure he wasn't a full blooded plot 'cause he didn't he didn't move like yeah. one. He was a he was a he was a pretty bad outfit. But anyway, um I, I bought when nick alberson was getting out i bought sand creek squealer from him i told charles i said i want squealer she was nine years old then but she was one of the most dominant cast winners i ever seen in my life i think she was deaf she couldn't hear another yeah. dog and she'd treat two or three coon around every other dog and she just i just consistently showed up with her and uh i did a lot of winning with her and and we bought Trip My Trigger from Wyatt Wright, which we bought a couple. We bought the Rat Dog and the Ghost Dog from Wyatt, and uh, I hunted Trigger. I did a lot of winning with Trigger. Um, let's see.
2: What was the name of the dog your grandma bought you?
3: It was a dog called Diamond Sam. He actually won uh, that big uh, hunt out there with y'all, Battle of the Breeds, mm-hmm. out at 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 Oklahoma. Oklahoma.
1: The Truth on the Houndsman XP Podcast Network is proud to partner with Cajun Lights. Cajun Lights can outfit all of your hunting light needs, everything from the high-quality rogueroo, super bright, super versatile. They've got a Bayou, which is a mid-range price light. And then one of my personal favorites is the Micro Gator. I use that for big game hunting, finding tracks, just uh, general use. If I need a light on my head, I'm grabbing my micro gator. I've looked for bear tracks in that thing, lion tracks, cat tracks, coon hunted with it, hog hunted with it at night. I've even used it to work on the plumbing in the house. Super bright, super dependable. Everything that LW sells down there is high quality, and the customer service is second to none. Every week I'm getting notifications that they're adding new items to their store. They've got briar clothing coming out they got a jacket out right now that's really nice I put the vest through the paces this last bear season and coon season couldn't be happier with that I can't find anything there that I I don't like and I like dealing with L.W. Nixon and Cajun Lights so check them out you can go to HoundsmanXP.com you can follow that link to Cajun Lights right from our website check them out folks He was a dog
3: that was way before his time. He was a road runner. It took me a while to figure him out. But you cut that sucker, and he'd be a mile in less than like five minutes, and he'd be treated. And what he would do is he'd go find a road, and he'd road hunt, and he'd just peel off this ditch mm. or peel off this creek. Or and I tell you, when I, I caught him, that's the dog I took to uh, plot days, PKC plot days, when I first time I ever drew Scotty uh, Engel, and. Uh, up there and uh, we cut him in this section and he peeled right back out down about 50 yards down the road and you could hear his toenails <laughs> clopping the pavement <laughs> and uh, somebody turned their light on him and it was him and he went right down there to the creek because we turned up the hill about a quarter it was about a quarter from the creek he went right there and treed about 25 yards off the road and uh, that was when I figured out he, that, that was his style yeah most people hated drawing him locally. They hated that because they knew they were gonna get gutted. Yeah. He'd, he'd gut you. I mean, he just he'd walk you to death. And uh, but he always had a coon when he parked, every time. I never went to a tree. Um, and he uh, he died a kid. He had renal failure, and uh, they think he got into some kind of chemical in yeah. A farm. Yeah. Uh And it, it cut his life a little bit short. But he was a heck of a hound. Um, but at, at about that time, I started seeing what it took, you know, to compete. You know, you needed a dog that treated coons yeah. fast. The more coons you scored in 120 minutes. What year was that? Uh, maybe 90, 92. Okay, so
2: ninety-two. Then we're hunting. You said he was before his time. I mean, there's a dog right there, and just in just I'm gonna give him as an example uh i wasn't competition hunting at all i mean i'd been i was local ukc hunting when i was 12 you know but it was the same guys you pleasure hunted against all good dogs but uh you said he was before his time in 92 when you line four dogs up and you cut them loose for two hours i would venture to say nine out of ten casts those dogs are on every single tree together
3: well this is this is when i when i hunted in this is what i saw and it, and a lot of it has to do with the type of terrain you're hunting.
2: yeah see we were regional i mean this is just just a, yeah i never hunted over 50 miles from my house at right. that point you know but that's what i remember when even pleasure hunting uh, you turn dogs loose they treed together everybody yeah. argued about who treated first right. whether it was a coon hunt or a pleasure hunt and then you went in and you done it again
3: yeah so they they uh, Best of my knowledge to to remember remembering this stuff, we'd have a couple dogs that would always pack up. Yeah. But then there was always one or two in that cast that would get off to themselves at some point. Right. Now, uh, in this country where I live, you've got to get a piece of it out of the truck, and then you want to recut and be by yourself, and that's how you win. So nothing's changed on that point
2: because no. that's especially right here with pro sport. That's what hurts some of our dogs, you know, that are leash lock rule ready. Is they're not quick enough yeah. they're not gonna cover that coon out of the truck. Sometimes they're not even gonna stay if that coon if they get covered out of the truck. And so you got you're treeing for a quarter out of the truck if you're treeing at all. Even if you tree it, because with rain, sand, con, dud well, not dud so much, but most of the stuff that we're hunting you you take that quarter out of the pickup because you don't know if them dogs are going to be there. You know, and so that hurts in pro sport. Yeah. You know, we've won a truck in pro sport and we've done well, but it wasn't because we were to, you know, it was just different. Right. But right now you're seeing more dogs that'll cover out of the truck, maybe even cover off the recut a little bit and slide over there and get one by themselves and stuff like that. And that's the kind you said you wanted
3: back then. And that's the kind I'd really like mm. to have now yeah and that's that's kind of that's kind of what I try um because most of the time if you think about it you're going to be hunting around your house yeah so you want your dog to fit what you're hunting mm-hmm. if you're in big woods he don't ever have to be with another right. dog but as land shrinkage happens because we talked about earlier these houses subdivisions golf courses where I live there's either a horse farm a golf course or a subdivision.
2: Everyone gripes about the deer hunters and the people moving in from the city, but I'm—I think we need to boycott the horse farm. Yeah, them horse, them horse people are hard on. Us.
3: They are. They are. They—they'll—they'll they'll, they'll flatten some of the best timber you've yeah. ever seen. Not think yeah. twice about it. But, um, so you know that's—that's that's changed from me going to being able to hunt everywhere and having big blocks of wood. Yeah, where I could. I could hunt a dog that was consistently by itself and be okay. But now I don't have that. So if I'm hand-picking a dog and drawing it, drawing him up like I want to on paper, I want him to, and I don't care how he gets it, if I can, I want a hundred strike in whatever piece of that first tree I get. I just want to be on the mm-hmm. positive side of mm-hmm. things. all right. And then I want to recut. Because I know I'm going to hunt a dog that's going to be by himself yep. on a recut. It's going to get quiet. And he can sink in there a half, yep. three quarters, and be by himself before anything can cover him. And so now you've gone to these progressive tree rules, which I absolutely like. Yep. Whether I win or get beat on them, I absolutely like them. Because that keeps the backpacker, the cover, it keeps him at, at bay, is what I'm saying. So...
2: Well, let's, I want to touch on some rules and some where the sport's going as far as the competition side of it. But last night we were talking on the live feed about the uh, oyster beds in the tide. And I know it, it, it's – I don't think you understand how foreign that is to everybody from about, I don't know, 200 miles from here and west. Uh, dogs getting their feet cut up in oyster beds – how the tide affects the community. i was fascinated by that last night when you were explaining to me that you want a high tide when you turn loose in these places and stuff so what when we're talking about oyster beds and the trouble that they give these dogs explain that to everybody
3: so when the tide goes out it takes all the all the water out of these creeks uh, and it pulls the moon pulls the tide out so they it's basically making it a dry bed so these oyster beds are up under here. So these coons when that tide goes out, those king coons go out there, and then they crack them oysters and they feed on them oysters. All right. A dog gets out there and runs. There's not a tree within miles and them things. Mm-hmm. So a dog gets out there and that coon just runs around and it's called pluff mud, it's all black mud. It'll sink you up to your neck. I mean it's terrible. It's the worst stuff you ever been in your life. You think you die you're going to quicksand yeah. or something. So the dogs get out there and they, they they have a hard time maneuvering in it, and those coons just walk across the top of it. Mm-hmm. And they just run around in circles out there, just, just run them and run them and run them and run them. Um, I don't know if you heard um, Fish last night. You know, he was talking about his dog stayed in the marsh two hours. Really? Yeah, and had to go get It just because the tide was low. So if the tide's high, it pushes the coons back up on the land, on these islands, timbered dogs don't get out there they tree coons yeah so at eight o'clock last night it was dead low tide so those guys were hunting in the worst time of the tide that they could hunt on the marsh Mm -hmm. but the late round it was going to be high tide at one o'clock it was going to be perfect so a lot of guides down here they try to pick and choose their places and they'll stay away from that no matter how good it is they'll stay away from it during low tide. During low tide, yeah. and then when the tide's right, they'll go. They'll go hunt that. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's something different. But and yeah, the, and the oyster beds with the crack shells and all that stuff—they're hard on the dog's feet. Oh, they're sharp as razor blades, bud. Really? Yes, sir. They'll cut a dog's feet up. They get infected because all the algae and yeah. stuff on them. It'll just slice them open. Their feet'll swell up big as my fist. I I had a dog one time that she she absolutely. I think she enjoyed it yeah and uh i would come down here and hunt and it'd take me 10 20 days to get her healed up soaker and epsom salt every day and it, it just yeah it's it's no good for me Do
2: some dogs naturally that, that hunt in this terrain all the time just say look i'm not getting in that fluff mode well, I'm, I'm going to tell can you Can they this. just not
3: help it? I'm going to tell you this. They're not going to help it because the coons are running out there. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to tell you what will help it. The man behind the leash. Yeah. He can make them stay from out there. Yeah. He can send them a text message and say, "Hey, get out of the marsh. Get back yeah. up here on dry land. The tree up here. Trees are up here." It's no different than it's, our cornfield race. So it's training. Yeah. It's it's training. You want to train them. But I'm gonna tell you something. Tim Kramer had a female called Swift Creek Ann. Strickland probably just told yeah, you about Yeah, her. we were just talking about it. We were just talking about Ann. Anne was the best at taking us taking two or three dogs in the marsh, leaving them in there, and then coming back up treading a coon on you. She could take a coon and, and she could take a coon out of the marsh and put him back on yeah. dry land. She was one of the best I've ever seen. I've never seen one any better than I,
2: I got a theory. The trader dog's feet are so terrible and they flat and they look like a muskrat foot. I think they would get in that fluff mud and be all right. <laughs> I think maybe nah, it'd be, be may, like
3: snowshoes. They may, but I'm going to tell you what, those oyster shells, they take no pity on any yeah. of them. I mean, it's like walking on razor blades. And I mean, you get those oyster beds, they're bigger, bigger around as this room in here. Really? Yes, sir. They're huge. Huh? Yeah. Well,
2: and that just goes to show you. And of course, this goes out. I think, uh, I don't know, I'm going to guess 30, 40 countries are listening to this podcast and, of course, most of the United States. I don't know if we got any listeners in Hawaii or Alaska or not. We probably do. But there's such a variation in terrain. You're talking about shocking them out of the oyster beds and getting them out of there and, and dogs can learn that, you know, with the right handler and stuff. And I, I was just picturing cornfield races in July when them, do- them coons won't leave that corn. You get in them big cornfields, they ain't leaving it. Them dogs will run them things around and run them around. And I hate – I won't turn loose and stand in corn in the summer at home if I'm pleasure hunting. Now, if I want to – if I'm getting ready to go out to Indiana for the Labor Day Classic or something like that, and I know I'm going to be in those things, you know, I'll turn loose. But we we buzz them out of them things all the time. Yeah. We don't want them in there.
3: Yeah, bean fields are the same yeah, thing. They're, yeah, yeah, You you can't tree a coon in a cornfield or a bean No,
2: field. and what makes a dog – and I think – You know, you talk to lion guys and you talk to big game guys and they want that dog that's just going to take that track. Because with a lion, say say Brett Vaughn's hunting hunting dry ground lions and there's one track. That's it. There's one track. He wants a dog to hit that track no matter how bad it is and finish it. And we don't want that. We have the luxury of having multiple tracks. And so we want our dogs to pick the tracks. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a completely different situation. But these dogs that stay in them bean fields and stay in them oyster fields and stay in the corn fields or whatever, I think they're just that one-track-minded dog that, you know, you're going to have to do something with him or he's going to stay there until you catch him or he finally gets a caught or whatever. Yeah,
3: and and I can speak for the marsh. There's so many coons that feed out there in yeah. those marshes. There's there's a million tracks, so they never they never lose – it's always a hot track yeah, out there because, because it's just about like – it's like God ringing the dinner bell. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Free oysters, boys. Yeah. And they all come to the – that's where they go. I mean, As a guy like, that likes oysters, I'd be out there yes, too sir. if I was Me a too. Coons. I love them. One of my favorite <laughs> <laughs> foods. Shrimp and oysters is my favorite. Yeah. But that's, that's basically what it is. It's, it's no different than a deer feeder with a timer going yeah. off that goes click, 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 and there's 15 coons sitting up around that little old feed plot. They come down eat the corn yeah. go back up same way with those canes they go up they sit up there in the sun during the day wait till the tide goes out wait till that tide goes to that tide yeah. gaze, whether, it's, whether it's the middle of the day or if it's the middle of the night and they're out there feeding hmm. and i mean you know so it's a million hot tracks out there and that's why dogs stay in the marsh because when they're running a track they just run over top of yeah. another one and it's just hot as the one to the left and they stay there when we talk about different trains different country
2: our end goal on the competition side of it is to be under more coons than the dogs next to you that's it i mean bottom line is and people can talk about oh it's a competition dog it ain't fun to pleasure hunt or it's it's just running wild and and it's barking too much and it's it's just a babbling idiot and all that stuff but in the end And most of these casts, what people don't understand, the dog that trees the most coons or is under the most coons, whether it be covering, treeing, whatever, is going to win 99 out of 100 of those casts.
3: No doubt. And a lot of times, the covering dog that gets a piece of mine, gets a piece of yours, gets a piece of the next guy's, when you tally it up after 120 minutes, he's got you beat.
2: Yeah, and that's – there's folks – and don't get me wrong, I hate a dog that covers – I'm sure you do too and most of these guys do too but it's getting to the point now and this is one of the points I wanted to get into is we tailor made we tailor make these dogs to rule sets Mm -hmm. we have for years Uh, we've done it ever since the beginning of competition coon hunting and now with pro sport and UKC with no leash lock and PKC with a leash (laughs) lock you know those are the three made kennel clubs those are the ones that people are making a living off of we 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 can mold these dogs really quickly. It doesn't take but a couple of generations or a guy with a checkbook to go find the right dog to win the right hunt.
3: And I tell you something, too, that I believe in: the the introduction of the Garmin. Yeah. Has absolutely made that so much simpler because you're not. You're you're no, you're understanding more of what he's how he's moving around. Yeah and where he's at. Well, you talked about your dog that was running the road, and it took you a long time to figure out what he was doing. You'd have known that in five minutes I'd have known it, yeah, the first time I hunted. Yeah. And he was just so good at it. Yeah. He was really sneaky. It was just that one night he slipped up, and he let me know. And, uh, yeah, but I think think that has a lot to play in the way we have these dogs, the rules. We're always going to try to have a dog that fits the rules. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's been different – you know, there's been different rule changes, and most of them didn't work. And you always go back to how it was because it was right the first time on most occasions. Yeah, I agree, um, except for the leash lock. I'm gonna I'm gonna let yeah. my line in the sand. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I wish the PKC would have left it off. Yeah,
3: I I, I agree to that because yeah. I mean, if you're paying to hunt, and and I've won I've won by the leash lock, and I've I lost by the leash lock. I have to, and so I mean, it's a double-edged sword with pretty much everybody. But real and and being honest, if you're just being honest with yourself, you want that the dog and the dogs against you to be able to go. Because it's it's like this. On the leash he's not going to make any mistakes. Yeah. But off the leash he's got that opportunity to, to go tree a slick, get out of the pocket, and you still have a better chance of winning. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I agree with you. I like and not having a leash lock i'm all for the not not the leash lock but i tell you one thing that i don't i don't like and i don't hunt as many hunts as i used to and i don't really have as big a voice in it or say so because a lot of guys that are hunting but i absolutely cannot stand when people try to make up a rule to fit their dog at the time yep. of the dog they're hunting, and then the next dog that they have, they want to change it because it doesn't fit them. Yep, like them. Yep. Uh, you see that all the time. So I, I really, I really don't like that that part of it. Uh, I, I just wish you'd leave look, rules alone. Yep. And
2: um, I actually wanted to. I think UKC does it right in that they change rules by vote one time every year. I think uh, PKC should follow suit. I believe Pro Sports should as well as far as just have us. My proposal was you can only change a rule between October and October with a 100% unanimous vote from the national directors. It's the only time you can change it. In October at the World Hunt, all the national directors, they sit down, they vote on the rule changes, and a majority can change it then. That way it's had a year. To sit in there, to see what's effective, see what isn't, and then if the members don't like it, then they can voice their opinions to the national directors. The national directors can vote on it once a year. If you bring a ballot measure up between October and October in the competition year, it's got to be unanimous. Yeah. If one person
3: votes no, then it's not. Then it's a no. You know, I was I was reading over last night in between while we were waiting on cast to come in from the early round to the late round. I was reading over pro, pro sports rules just yeah. because it was just something for me to do, you know. And I, honestly, to me, they their rules are right. Yeah, I think I, so. I didn't see one place where I would say, hey, that that, that rule stinks. They need yeah. to change it. They, I think that the thing that they've done that most of the other kennel clubs don't, haven't done is they listen to people and they listen to the right people. And they establish those rules, and those rules work because honestly, and I'm gonna say this, and I might get some flash back on it, but the the rules that they have are the old PKC rules, mm-hmm. basically. It's just it's cut and dry. There's yep. no, I mean, you know, it, it's right there, black and white. And the,
2: the only thing with Pro Sport is you're gonna walk. A lot in some cases. You're gonna walk extra than you would in PKC. Uh and it's a it's the PKC style of hound. And so it's gonna kinda of up the ante as opposed to a lot of little local UKC hunts where dogs are liable more liable to be together. But as people and I see this going on this year, there are more dogs that are in that first tree together. We turned loose down to Buffalo with that Pro Classics, sixty five hundred dollar entry. And we had four dogs on the same tree multiple times, you know, two, three times. And you never seen that two years ago.
0: Right. Never seen
2: it. But these guys are seeing with pro sport, these are the same guys that are hunting pro sport. They're seeing that these dogs have got to be treed. They got to get a piece of that first coon. Uh, you don't have the opportunity with someone that struck for a 100 and that trails around all night and to leash lock them because the dog that treed a coon for 150 may get a piece of your 200. Mm-hmm. And now you're screwed because you've trailed around for two hours. You've treated for 200. And that dog comes in for a quarter and a quarter, and you're beat. Yep. And so we just – it takes a while for the dogs to evolve and for the handlers to evolve and stuff like that. But in the end, what we really want, Stephen, in my opinion, is dogs that are a pleasure to hunt through the week and that you can still go win a truck on the weekend. Or you can win $100,000 on a weekend. That's, that's the
3: end goal. That is. That is absolutely what it is. It's, you know – I agree with you 100% because that's what I want. Yeah. I mean, it, let's let's just put, if I want to hunt during the week and then I get a wild hair and I say, you know what, they got a pro sport hunt down here in Waterboro right here. by. No. I'm going to give it a whirl, you know, and I can compete. I feel yeah. like I can compete. Um, That's what I'm looking for. I mean, I've got a dog right now that <laughs> I feel I can compete anywhere with him. Now, do I? No, I don't. I, I don't. Because of family, and I work for Joy, and I work for another company, and uh, family time. Yeah. So, you know, it's easier for me to be with my family till ten o'clock at night, and they go to bed, and I go coon hunting. Yeah. Daylight, come back home, and uh, I get enjoy. I I enjoy that. Yep. And and I still enjoy the competitive side. I do. I've, I always will. Even when I can't go, I still I still keep up with it. I know who's hunting what. Mm-hmm. Um I, I love the competitive side of this sport. And um this this weekend I like I hunted the Grand American because it's just my thing. I've done it all my life. Um but that weekend I had two great casts. Probably two of the best casts I've had in years. Um sportsmanship was out of this world. It was everybody was, you know, they did they did what they were supposed to do. They yep. struck their dogs. They treed their dogs. Um, it was no arguing, no bickering. It was just enjoyable. Uh, you know, I see a lot of guys down here this weekend that I've known for years and years and years. And most of them I've never had a crossword with any of yep. them. There's a few of them down, down there that I have. But for the most part of it, they're you know the competitiveness and the sportsmanship and if you got a good dog you don't have to pull all that crap man no you don't you don't have to you don't have to be so extra just uh, strike and trim yeah and uh everything works itself out but for the most part you know i hear people always talking about they got cheated you know they hate competition hunting it's really and truly they they really didn't get cheated it's a couple things they needed a better dog or they need to learn the rules, or they're just not man enough to accept that they got beat. It's usually the third one. So It usually
2: is. I mean, just to be honest, it's usually the third one. And
3: if I get beat, if Josh Michaelis takes me behind the woodshed one night, I'm going to shake his hand because he deserved it that night. So, I mean, you know, I think if we get more of that, and uh, that's just like Maynard. You know, I, I use Maynard. Maynard's always in a good mood, joking, mm-hmm. we cut up that's the kind of stuff you like to go to the hunt i mean you know it's camaraderie yeah you know yeah everybody likes to win if you weren't you're in the wrong sport because it's competitive yeah i mean it's just it's probably as competitive as any sport out there yeah i mean night in and night out so yeah, there's two sides of it and
2: you'll hear it right here just through all the Go through all the truth episodes where we talk about competition, Cuneta, and Kurt was a was a fantastic example where he said, "You know, I'm not your buddy for those two hours. That's fine. I'm not your buddy for those two hours either. You know, sometimes I'll cut up and stuff like that. But I'm trying to win that cast. You know, I'm trying to win. But also, when that's over, congratulations to the man that did win. Exactly. If I win, congratulations to me, and I'm glad I did. And it's all over." you know and we may we may get and i don't get heated you know very rarely will i get heated i'm sure you're the same way but you'll you'll disagree during a cast
3: age is taking care of a lot it of that does. age
2: me. age takes care of most of it for everybody even finley has calmed down in the <laughs> cast <laughs> but uh you know and i see these young and hungry guys and i've drawn them and you know, during those two hours, I'm just like, j whiz, this guy's doing this, and this guy's doing that, and you're griping. But he's young, and he's hungry, and he's usually got a decent dog, and he's doing the best to win with it. And I kind of tip my hat to him, too, because, you know, I was there. You were there. Yeah. You see that that I'm here to win, and I'm not here to make friends attitude, and I respect that just as much as I do the – the randy steadman that just comes and and competes and bicker and argue and make fun of you all night and then if he beats you he beats you and if he don't he had a good time mm-hmm. anyway you know you respect all that yeah. there's both sides of it but- i drew
3: a kid i drew a kid saturday night at the grand american and he was just like you said he had he was hunting a black dog and that dog he split every drop yeah looked amazing and at the end he he made a bad call Mm -hmm. and he flew off the handle you know he couldn't accept it but um, you know he's like you said he's just hungry and he's got a good dog and that's just competitiveness out of him and you
2: gotta respect the fact that he got that dog ready and he got that dog right
3: I, I I did I did I, I I tried to talk to him a little bit afterwards, but he was so he was so hot yeah that I was smart enough to know that it you know he just needed to go on and drive back to wherever he came from and maybe you know it would he would see it but some of them do and some of them don't yeah um but there's a few I'll that take don't. I'll take nothing from him that he was he was the dog to beat in that cast even though my dog won it at the end he was the dog to beat in that cast and yep. i i respected that young man because i knew he was hunting that dog hard had him prepared for that hunt and um you know it's like you said they they're young and they're hungry yeah and i was there i know was, i was in his shoes i was the same person i was in his shoes but it yep. took me a little while to understand that you know i can't if I make a mistake, it's on me. It's not It's not the other three people in that cast. It was on me. And I remember one night, and I've told this story, I think, on the podcast,
2: and uh, I was at a party on a Friday night and ran my mouth, and some kid just beat me about half to death. <laughs> and I show up Saturday night to this coon hunt, and the uh, whole side of my face swelled up i've still i'm still concussed i mean this kid and i had it coming (laughs) he gave it to me and i had it coming and uh i can't look up in a tree very long without blacking out and so i kind of pulled some funny stuff i'm 20 years old 19 20 years old and i I pulled some funny stuff on a couple trees and at the end of this hunt uh i was hunting a little dog and she got split and she's on a big maple i know she's got a coon good dog i'd got her ready and i had been hunting hard and uh I couldn't shine this tree and see straight or nothing. And I asked that guy that was handling it, and I said, hey, you going to help me shine this tree because you shouldn't have messed up on that? He remembered that very first drop where I pulled some funny stuff. That's right. (laughs) And I've drawn that guy a hundred times since then, and we've been friends ever since then. he just looked at me as this young, dumb, ignorant kid that didn't know no better, and he realized I've evolved and I've got better, and I've become a better human being and a father and stuff like that, and that's how everybody is. Oh, yeah,
3: no doubt. So Absolutely.
2: You're talking about your Grand American, and you're talking about you got
3: a dog at home that competes. So tell us about Rube. Well, he's a Murray Reagan bred, bred him. He's out of uh, Hatchy River Dotty in Main Street Draft. It's the uh, number one historical cross yeah. in the English breed. And uh, <clears throat> the thing that I look the most for in a dog, and I'm not colorblind, I hunt any of them. I, I just I like a winner. Yeah. But the thing that I look most, my number one thing is, is I don't look for mouth. I don't look to, I look for heart. They got to have heart. If, you know, I want a dog that when he when he wants to give up, he doesn't give up on me. He's always giving me that opportunity, whether it be the last 10 minutes of the cast, to win a cast. So Rube is a, he's a 150% heart. Yeah. I mean, this dog, when I got this dog, he had everything but COVID-19. He uh, <laughs> he may have had that, that's too. That's what Michigan State wrote on the blood work. I did over $2,000 worth of blood work on that dog. Um, he couldn't even hold his head up, and he would still go treat you coons. That's how I knew that he would stay at my house till he died because that dog I took him, there was no way in the world he felt like going. even going hunting. He loaded up in that dog box we went i turned him loose he went out there and just fell treat he never has done that since he had a coon i shot it out to him i took him home and i said oh boy i said me and you're gonna get healthy we're gonna get well and i said then you're gonna really show me what you're about mm-hmm. so i have a wonderful vet dr gruber at aiken veterinary clinic um he's he's actually from the mississippi delta bird dog man and uh, he understands sporting dogs and that's hard to find this day in the veterinarian world they're all about lap dogs and you know that's who pays their bills so and and, you know he understands it and he actually I mean he and I text each other if I have I'll talk to him about what do you think about this and he'll he'll lead me in the right direction but anyway so we got he and I got Rube straight Rube's thyroid was at .57 so (laughs) I'll give you a funny story so that was about the time that I came on with Joy, mm-hmm. and um, so I was giving him Siloxine, Joy dog food, twenty four twenty, and clean water every day. He told me he said it's a must you give him fresh water every day. So I did that, and we went six weeks, six weeks, and had his first blood test. He was at point eight seven, and he said, "Oh, he's he's doing better." He said, "But we're gonna go up to saloxine," and I said, "0.57 to 0.87," and you're 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 looking at me and smiling and saying he's doing better, because I'm thinking he ain't yeah. gonna know better. And uh, so it went about six months before he got me to come back in the next time. And we went in there, and he came back. He flings the door open, and he says, "What are you giving us, dog?" And I'm like I feel like I've got a gun in oh, yeah. to me, you know. I said I ain't giving him nothing but Joy dog food, saloxine, and fresh water. He said, "Nah." He said, "You're giving him something." What are you giving him? I said, "Joy dog food, saloxine, fresh water." He said, "Uh," he said, "You got a bag of Joy dog food? I can get. I can see." I said, "Yeah." I said, "Matter of fact, the feed store across the road here, I got it in there." So I went over there and got a bag. And, he turns it over and he, re, I mean, he's studying it. Mm-hmm. It's just quiet there for 15, 20 minutes. He opens it up. He looks at it. He said, uh, "Can I have this bag of dog food?" I said, "You sure can." Take fifty-five dollars off my bill. I said for forty-eight. <laughs> and I didn't pay the bill. You know how much the oh, bill yeah. was? How much? Sixteen hundred. Oh, geez. I said, "I tell you what, you sure can." I said for forty-eight dollars, it's yours. He looked at me and said. What I said, you just charged me sixteen (laughs) hundred dollars, and he said okay. So anyway, he feeds Joy now. Yeah, and uh, he said he thinks that because getting back to it, Rube's uh, thyroid was three point four five, and he told me he said he, you know, all he could think is that the Joy the Joy was formulated correctly. He was getting enough iodine Mm -hmm. to suppress his thyroid and make his thyroid work it because yeah. basically it just stops working when they get that low so he just said it it put it back in full gear and where it needed to be so i he told me he said take him off the Saloxine. i took him off the Saloxine, and to be honest with you he he was a 10 times better dog than he was yeah um you know and he really he really started performing so, I took him to the Grand American that, that first year. Kudos which, to your vet for telling you to take him off the Siloxian. Yeah,
2: yeah. Because not got very it. many of them will do I've done that with two dogs now. I've got a great vet. He, he
3: really is. Um, but I took him to the Grand American that first year that I, that I had to work for Joy. So, I said, Well, I'm going, go I'm going to hunt. So, I hunted him Friday night. And I got a cast win with him Friday night. Saturday night, I didn't go, I didn't hunt. Um, I went home. The next year I go, I get double cast wins, and then this year, Tyler hunted him. He uh, finished seventh Friday night, uh, 16th Saturday night, double cast wins, and we were fifth of the final four. So Just about. I, he was yeah. just there knocking on the door, which we had a couple of opportunities. Uh, If you'd have had a good handler. Well, no. (laughs) I'm just giving Tyler I'm going to tell you, Tyler did a wonderful job. He does. He did a wonderful job handling him. Um, Brenner's probably a better handler than Tyler, though. (laughs) Um, Just saying. But anyway, on Friday night, this goes back to sportsmanship. Friday night, JT, he hunts the No Limit Sniper dog, James Thomas. On my last tree, Rube was split from his dog. And I had a big old nest in a cow's cock up there, and I'm thinking this this thing could have held a condor. Mm. It wasn't a squirrel bed. It was yeah. a, It was a it was huge. So JT saw the coon, and me and the guide were standing out the paved road, and we could see the coon, but Tyler and them didn't see the coon, so it got circled. So if I'd have had that, if he'd got that coon plus, he'd have been in the top four. Saturday night he had two like that. He had one in a pine tree that judge saw, the guide saw, and one of the other guys saw, but the other other two didn't see. So that would have got him in. And then he had another another tree that night that he had a coon in that a two to two. Yeah. So and you know, but I take I'll take it how it is, you know, it was it, every bit of it was honest. It was it was done great. Sportsmanship, like I said, was great. Um, so he's just a—I don't know—he's—I I like him a lot, Josh. That's all that I mean, I, I do. He just—he wins—he wins more than he loses when he goes to hunts. Um, if he was run up and down the road, probably people, you know, would know more about him. Yeah. But uh, he's a full litter mate brother to Main Street Blue that Trevor Hack yep. and Grant Whitmer had. So he'd be Kraken's uncle. Um, he's got another litter mate out there in Mississippi. They, he's a Grand Night Champion called Hollywood. They say I've never hunted with him, but they say he's a heck of a hound. But I've owned three Dottie hounds. I won one off Chrome, one off Awesome, and then this one off of Jack. And the... the the three things that they had in simulator, they were different, but the three things they had similar was their heart. That's a, they all had that heart. And we, uh, we were talking about it last night and I always said just give me all the heart and half the talent and I'll beat your brakes off. There you go. And uh but he's uh he's a big old good athletic looking dog, decent mouth. You can walk walk to him for a mile, mile and a half with hearing him. Um trees a lot of coons. He uh he likes to party sometimes, but he always winds up getting by himself a couple times. So, he's kind of a good mixture for me because I'm one of those guys now that I don't need him to be by himself all the time. Yeah. I when I was younger, I hunted a dog that was by itself all the time. And um but now I I'm smart enough to figure out that I'm better off getting a piece piece out of the truck one by myself and I'll win probably Fifty percent of my cast like that. Because Ronnie Bone always told me when I was young and up there at Aurora one day, I blew a gasket and he said, What's it was in youth man. Yeah. He said, What's wrong, son? And I told him and he said, Let me tell you what. He said, I, I'm hunting the winningest dog ever. And he said, If I win fifty percent of my cast, I'm I'm doing great. Yeah. And I always remember that stuff. I always took stuff from people like him and just you know, I I didn't want I've never been one of those people that think I know it all you know I always listen whether it be you Tim Strickland you know I talk to Murray Reagan a lot um you know Ashley Ashley congratulations to Ashley Ashley Ashley. Oxidine is my favorite dude I'm just gonna tell you he's one of my favorite. he's my favorite person in the world I I just love sitting talking to him yeah I love being around him he's just a good man i've never
2: and i've met a lot of successful people and most of them i just love to death but ashley's so humble and he's so polite and he's so nice to be around and uh what i love about ashley i think the most is he's so <laughs> proud of his dogs he's just like that little kid that is his first coon dog just treat its first coon by itself you know ashley takes that mentality into these dogs winning at a high level you know and he likes them and you know kudos to him i'm glad he i'm
3: glad he done well last night yeah he's he i always pull for Ashley. he's uh i don't know if a lot of people know but he's probably one of the hardest working human beings in the world um every time i talk to him he's working but i'm gonna tell you something that's that's even more He's he's a better dog man than most people would ever yeah. give him credit for, because I know personally I have seen stuff that he's done the dogs that were in a spell in a yeah. rut yeah and Ashley can bring them back out there he's just got that touch yeah and uh, I just think a lot of it's got to be of his nature I think he's, it's I think his dogs
2: liking yeah that's what I'm saying I it's his, his nature
3: like And and uh, yeah and I I really. I'm really pulling for him to win this whole thing. I hope he does. He's, he's my man. I'm, I'm gonna pull for him to the end. Um, I hope him and Dottie bring that truck home, or maybe jump in the black dog. He'd probably be more proud with b- jumping the black dog, yeah. because he's a <laughs> I, black dog man. Jacob was excited last he night about old Jumper. He was. He uh, j- j- or jump. Jacob jumps, jumps done good. Yeah. With, with him, jumps yeah. done really good. Is that with dog's him. named Deuce. Is that His name's Deuce. Yeah, yep. that's right.
2: Yeah. The Labrador. The lab. Induce the Labrador. The lab that hunts like a walker. Yep. That's yep. his top. I know when Jake sat down with us on the <laughs> on the live feed he was wound up excited yeah. and I was happy for him too. too. He's a good dude. He is. So Really is. All right, Steven. We got a lot of work to do this afternoon. It's gonna be a long night. Uh, this is gonna air on what is today? Saturday? So the results are gonna be out by the time this airs. Go to the joy. It'll be on the Joy Dog Food events page, and you'll see all our live coverage, and you'll see kind of an inside look at the Pro Sport Truck Hunt. You're going to get to see the, the Final Four covered live if you go on there and look at the live feed there too. So you guys check it out. And, and Stephen, it's been a wonderful weekend. I love seeing your home state, and yeah. I love having you with me and doing the live coverage. It's nice to have another knowledgeable houndsman in the booth with me. Well, oh, I don't know about
3: knowledgeable, life. but I, I do want to say one more thing, um, Josh. I really appreciate what you've done. With these podcasts. Thank you. Because I know you probably don't see it, but a lot of people get a lot of enjoyment, you know, because they've never had this with their sport. And and you know as well as I do, coon hunters are diehard loving. They love it. They They eat, breathe, and sleep it. You have to to do what we do. And I just wanted to tell you that you do a great job, and I appreciate it i appreciate
2: you steven everything you do for me and for joy and uh wade and everybody appreciate it and i'm sure chris with houndsman xp will appreciate you sitting down with us just as well so let's uh shut this off and go to work huh yep let's do it all right thank you for listening ladies and gentlemen this is the truth on the houndsman xp podcast network
3: and we will catch you next time